Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our January 26, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. And yes, it is Fed Day and a lot of market gyrations. And at the end of the day, about what the market expected. A little bit of change, both on the short and longer term projections from the Fed, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But We all know the market's been a wild ride so far this year, and the big question is, are you prepared for this cycle, this change that we're now experiencing in the markets? There's always unpredictability, and it's always interesting. That's why I love it. It's it's always interesting, always something new to understand, to think about, uh, new opportunities, new risks that emerge, and volatility can be your friend. Or it can be your enemy. It depends on how you're positioned, how you think about it, and how you react. I love the the saying that it's not what happens to you in life. It's how you react to the things that happen to you. And that same goes for the market as well. There's new information. There's new data. There's new movements in the market each day. And you can't control that. No matter how much you hope you're correct no matter no matter how much attention you put towards it the market's going to do what it's going to do you don't have control of it so you have to react accordingly and i always say hope is not a strategy so you have to build the tools the knowledge the expertise the discipline to make good money decisions, good investment decisions. And that's what I'm here to help you do, is to not have a strategy of hope, but a strategy of action, of logic, and with as little emotion as possible. So on today's program and podcast, I'm gonna operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. I'm here to give you over 20 plus years of investment experience, all the lessons I have learned, all the things that most beginning investors get wrong. I was once a beginning investor. Now, luckily I had mentorship. I got up to speed uh, really quickly. My grandfather was my mentor. He, he, He threw it all at me at a very young age. 
and you may have started at different ages. Maybe you're, you're still relatively young. Maybe you're starting later in life. No matter what, you need to learn the, the right lessons. And you can learn it the hard way. And a lot of people in the markets have, have learned that recently, the hard way, especially all those new investors that got into market, the market, they opened their Robinhood accounts, they chased the, the, the shiny object, right? The, the, the big tech stock uh, and the big story stock. And they've had their head handed to them over the past few months. And they're learning that lesson the hard way. So my job is to help you learn the lessons the easier way which is understanding both sides of the arguments. So I'm taking your calls right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, that's no big deal. You can listen or you can leave a message on our invest talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. And we're going to go to James in New York, looking at Netflix. Uh, yes, so I'm looking at Netflix uh, for a long-term position. I was hoping to maybe get it in the below $300 price point, but do you think it's worth maybe initiating a half a position now and then waiting to see if it goes down below 300 to do the rest of the uh, position? Well, the momentum is definitely down, and we are now below. Think about this. We are now below the pre-pandemic levels. Pretty crazy, right? In uh, in, in February of 2020, this was at about 380, and now it's at 360-ish, 359, spot 70. So we definitely made a round trip, and the question is, is it cheap yet? And I'm going to say, no, it's still not cheap enough. Around 300 is probably fair value, uh, and you're, you're likely to get, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a cycle where there's going to be continued... Uh, pressure on growth stocks. And this continues to be a, a growth stock, a high multiple name, even though it's come down 50% from its high. In these type of cycles, it's not uncommon for bubblish stocks to go down 80, 90%. Now, I think this will be closer to 80 versus 90. Uh, and 80 would bring this probably, let's see, 52 week highs at 700. So that'd be, in, be bringing around 150. Doesn't mean it's going to get there. I'm not saying it's going to get there. But I would still be patient. I, I wouldn't be in a, in a big hurry. You just had this. You just had this earnings announcement that was horrendous, uh, especially for the stock price, going from five and about five hundred dollars all the way down to three fifty nine today, and it remains relatively weak. So I would just be patient. I would not be picking up this unless it gets below three hundred. I think your initial thought is correct. Be patient on it, and uh, good luck. Thanks for the call. Yeah, Netflix, it's one of those names where it's it's profitable. That's good. But their cash flow has never really kept up with their profits. If you look at it, trailing 12-month free cash flow, $151 million. 2019, pre-pandemic, they were still burning $3.1 billion in cash. So, and last year, 20 or 20 in 2020, their free cash flow is $1.9 billion, but that, a lot of that had to do with they couldn't film. They couldn't go and spend all the money on, on uh, new, you know, new shows and new movies like they, they typically do. So the question is, how can Netflix eventually get to a business model where they're cash flow positive, where they're spending 
still money on, on new content, original content, but they're profitable and they're cash flow positive as opposed to right now, they're just spending so much money on uh, original content, at least pre-pandemic, that they needed to raise capital, sell shares, issue debt, etc. And, and the whole story is eventually they'll get to steady state. But they're kind of the more, you know, who doesn't really have Netflix? Their, their growth, at least uh, domestically, is pretty meager. It's all about overseas. So I don't think they've really cracked the code to become a very profitable company. COVID almost made them more profitable, made them, forced them to be more profitable. But I think that's going to uh, retrench. So I'm very patient on Netflix. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Will demand for office space rebound from its depression COVID pandemic levels? One high-profile property billionaire thinks office space will recover long before retail. I'll dig into that. I, I disagree with him a little bit. But we're going to look at those statements and dissect them a bit. Also, the oil markets and most importantly, OPEC plus. OPEC plus is basically Russia. What's interesting about the market right now, the oil market, is output from OPEC plus. It's not keeping up with what their stated goals are. Why is that? We're going to look at that. And then also, the U.S. market is on a winning streak compared to foreign markets. Will that continue? We'll talk about the tailwinds that the U.S. markets have had over the past four years, because it is on a four-year winning streak, and whether those tailwinds will continue. And then lastly, if we have time, how are people cutting costs? What are the ways to cut costs uh, during this time of higher inflation? So that's what's on my mind, but ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. So give me a call. 888 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a look at the market. The S&P closed modestly down six and a half points, and it was Fed day. And the market was up for most of the day, and we sold off after the Fed meeting, and then into the close, a little bit of a rally, nothing too dramatic, but but definitely paired some of those, those losses. Now, what did the Fed say? Well, they didn't raise interest rates, but they basically hinted that they were going to raise interest rates at the next meeting, barring any major changes. They also, so that was uh, that was a little bit hawkish. Also, they said they could accelerate their tightening cycle later in the year if inflation doesn't moderate, which is hawkish, right? Leaving room open for a more hawkish Fed than uh, they've already signaled over the you know next six to nine months. But I think near term, they became more dovish. I think they took the court, the 50 basis point rate hike in March off the table that they'll keep it steady kind of at that quarter point. They didn't really put balance sheet runoff, uh, basically QT on the table for uh, at least a couple more meetings. So a lot of people or a lot of market participants were thinking that they could start balance sheet tightening and runoff by in March of some uh, at, at some time. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So a little bit of pieces for the doves and the hawks. But the market overall didn't love this because the feds continued to be on a strong tightening cycle. Although they, they did say that they will be flexible, that nothing is on, on a, in a clear path, which they've said that for a while. So 
I think the economic numbers that will come in over the next uh, three to six months are going to be uh, for not forcing the, the, the Fed's hand, but forcing the Fed to be a bit more patient with uh, tightening policy. And I do think we're near the peak in Fed hawkishness. Now we're heading into a quick break, but I'm here and happy to answer your investment and finance questions here on Invest Talk at 888 chart. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 chart. Hi, this is Alex from Atlanta. I had a question about 3M and CAT, C-A-T. I'm comparing the two. I'm trying to see which of these you think is a good value play because I know you've been talking a lot about industrial value plays. So I've been looking at these two, trying to figure out if it's a good time to pick up and get into the position. So if you can talk about these two companies and see which one you like for a longer-term play, minimum two, three years. Thank you. Well... Both of them are now in a downtrend. That's my issue is this is not a good time to buy, I think, either of these. Now, if I'm, if I'm picking one or the other, I'm definitely going with 3M. Their business is, is simply more consistent. Simply more consistent. Look at their profitability. Return on equity is uh, average over the last decade in a low 30% range. So I like that. Consistent, positive, free cash flow. Uh, $6.5 billion trailing 12 months on a $97 billion market cap. That's a decent free cash flow yield. That's not going to grow very fast, but it's broadly diversified. A bit cyclical, it's true, but uh, I, I like I like that uh, for Caterpillar. I like the the broad market trends and, and, and trends for, for their business. Uh, now, that, that's 3M. So, But Caterpillar, that's a bit more up and down. A lot more cyclical, a lot less diversified. And if you look at their, their their profitability metrics, they're more up and down. And uh, return on equity over the past decade, you've had years in the 40s, but you've had a big negative year, 2016, which if you remember, there was a kind of a growth scare in the markets and the economy around that time. You can see how cyclical uh, they were they were then. And $5.5 billion market cap trailing 12 months, so less than 3M, and their market cap is much higher, about $115 billion market cap uh, right there. So if I'm picking one or the other over uh, in the next uh, three years or so, I'm going to pick 3M over Caterpillar, but I would be patient on both of them. Now we're already into the fourth trading week of the year in the market. It has been interesting. And we're seeing a lot of volatility. In markets and probably your portfolio. Do you need help? You need some guidance? Well, I'm taking your calls on Invest Talk live at 888 chart. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. 888 99 chart. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Well, 
demand for office space rebound from its depressed COVID pandemic levels. And this is from Sam Zell. He is one of the largest, most successful billionaire real estate investors, developers in the world. He's been doing it for decades and decades and decades. And he basically says that top mall and anchor malls, grocery anchor malls, are going to going to struggle. He seriously questions their viability. He thinks that office will likely recover much quicker than retail. That's interesting. Very interesting, because I wouldn't think that's the case. Because grocers are still in demand. And people still want restaurants, especially fast, quick go restaurants. And those are common in strip malls. Whereas in the office space, more and more people are working from home. How much of the workforce? They say upwards permanently of 10 to 15% tw- of the entire U.S. workforce is now going to be permanently working remote. That's a lot of workers. Remember, the U.S. working age population is about 200 million. You're talking about 20 to 30 million people that are no longer going to go into an office every single day. To me, that speaks of very, very high overcapacity in the office space. Now, will hybrid work be more of a thing? Sure. But that's what makes me kind of question Sam Zell's statement here. The stores that are typically in a strip mall are still in demand. Places you can go to mail, you know, these uh, uh, called mailbox, etc. But you know, UPS stores. All those things are are still in need. Yogurt shops, drug stores, taco shops, fast food restaurants, things like that. I think those are still being demand. Whereas office, uh, so I, it's interesting here that Zell says this, and he says obsolescence. Obsolescence is a big factor in the office market. I think it's going to make some assets unsaleable without significant investment. So he's admitting a bit there that office market is challenged. But and he says his company is not putting money into the office space. So that's what's interesting. He says that anchor malls are going to be do worse than office, but he's not investing in office. He also warns that higher interest rates could cause more distress in the market. And this is where, to me, the biggest risk in the, in the economy is today, is in this commercial real estate market, because there's just so much change that's happening, and change that's not good for landlords. In the residential market, there, there's, there's negatives, I think, in the coastal areas, but there's not a broad shift. It's not like people are abandoning their homes that people still need to live in a home. But a lot of people don't have to go into an office anymore. And so this next few years, that to me is the biggest risk. If you're looking for a place you want to avoid in the markets is anything that's going to be heavily tied to uh, office or retail 
commercial locations, whether that's commercial mortgage-backed securities, maybe it's a REIT that owns a lot of these uh, these properties, whatever it is, make sure you be selective because I really think there's a lot of headwinds in this space, a lot that's been papered over, and as interest rates go up when uh, and, and you have to face the music, you really have to uh, see what these, 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 uh, these are worth, these, these properties are worth, they're going to be a, worth a lot less than most of the market is pricing in today. Now let's pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from a faraway land, the United Arab Emirates on 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Ali. I'm calling from the UAE. I have a question with regards to JP Morgan, JPM. I see that it came down significantly on the last trading day because of its earning results. I think it's a great bank and I think it should do fairly well to keep these values or maybe even increase these values. I just want to get your view on whether I should add on to my positions or I should just hold for the moment. I look forward to your answer in your next episode. Thanks. Bye. Now, I'll repeat kind of what I've said over the past few weeks, which is I'm not a fan of the big banks. Why? There's a lot of complexities with uh, new Basel III and uh, SIFI regulations. And then on top of that, they have large investment banking arms. They're not your standard commercial banks of 40 years ago. They have arms that take companies IPO, issue bonds, do M&A. And when money's cheap and asset values are elevated and everyone's happy and confident, a lot of those things happen. When money gets more expensive, people are less bullish on risk assets. What happens? Well, there's less of those things. And so I don't want a bank that has that much exposure. So I'm going to pass on JP Morgan right now. I don't like the trend. It just broke down. It's now in a downtrend. So I'm passing on JP Morgan. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. are listening to invest talk we've seen the markets go up then down sideways and around it's called volatility and if you're a serious investor you'll have finance and investment questions for justin klein he's here now taking your calls live invest talk 888-99-CHART let's talk about the oil market and more importantly, OPEC. Now, last month, OPEC and its Russian-led allies, so they call it OPEC+, Plus, they increased their collective production by 250,000 barrels. Sounds like a lot. But in fact, it was 60% of what the group had promised for the entire month. In total, they pumped about 790,000 barrels below its publicly stated targets. And this is a big reason why you continue to see oil prices elevated. Now, they're trying to raise output back to where they were pre-pandemic. And demand, and, and, and they're having trouble doing it, even while demand continues to climb sharply. In the latest OPEC report, they forecast oil demand to increase 4.2 million barrels this year. 
Let me put that in context. OPEC plus cut production in early 2020. In total, nearly 10 million barrels, 9.7. That was 10% of total global demand at the time. Now, they've restored about 6.4 million barrels of that 9.7 million cut, and they're planning to increase that 400,000 barrels every single month until the group is back to where it was pre-pandemic. But as they ramp or promise to ramp, they're having trouble ramping for a few reasons. Problems in the UAE with, UAE with uh, Yemen rebels uh, attacking oil de uh, depots. You also have Russia in the US uh, and the deal with Ukraine. What's going to happen with that? Remember, Russia is a huge national natural gas producer. It's the world's biggest, one of the world's biggest. Now, Morgan Stanley forecasts the world's spare capacity will shrink from 6.5 million barrels a day a year ago to below 2 million by middle of this year. And they think oil will go to $100 a barrel. And so as OPEC ramps, they continue to have roadblocks. In Nigeria is pumped below their expectations because of malfunctions of one of their terminals. In Angola, they've had underinvestment, and they put that put their production down to a 17-year low. Even Russia, who's supposed to have this abundance of capital, abundance of, of land and, and reserves, they promised to boost output last month by 20,000 barrels. Said they cut it by 10,000. Now, is, is that geopolitical game playing? Possibly. But Iraq, the, the IEA cut Iraq's sustainable capacity by 140,000 barrels a day because of problems with their infrastructure. And the countries that have spare capacity, Saudi Arabia, for example, they could go above their ceiling, their production ceiling, but they've cracked at, at other OPEC members in the past for doing that. And so they don't want to set that precedent. precedent. So you continue to see supply issues with oil. So it's not just about ESG anymore. It's OPEC, is, spare capacity is dwindling fast. And so this is, this could be a longer term issue with oil in general. And remember, oil is a huge driver in our inflation outlook. Think of all the things that you do. Our entire modern economy runs on energy. Everything, your, from your phone to the food that you eat, everything requires energy. Energy is life. Energy is our modern economy. The reason we have a modern civilization is because we've, been, we've been able to harness energy and use it in various ways. And so this is what's interesting is that you continue to see supply issues on that side, which is pushing prices up. And this is going to continue to put pressure on the Fed to raise interest rates. And that's a big part of, I think, what 2020s will be, which is an inflationary environment driven by higher energy costs from various sources. 
So I wanted to bring that to attention because I know I've talked a lot about ESG and how that is uh, crimped oil production, oil supply. Well, it's not just that. It's that there are a lot of issues partly caused by COVID, others just the underinvestment by certain countries that have prevented oil supply to keep up with uh, demand. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here is a question from an iTunes reviewer. Reviewer Puma51 says, I've been looking at the energy sectors, wondering what you think about XLE for an energy play in 2022. Well, that ties into just uh, what I was saying, so I don't, don't need to re reiterate that. But what I will say is, Oil is a bit overbought here, uh, and the XLE is a bit overbought. So I wouldn't be excited to jump in right now, but I do think it's still a good longer-term play. Now, with XLE, this is the Energy Select Spiders ETF. What you have to understand here is roughly half of the entire portfolio is going to be Chevron and Exxon. Exxon's 23%, uh, call it 24% of the portfolio. Chevron is 20, so you're talking about 44% of the overall portfolio here is just those two huge names. Then you have EOG, Schlumberger, ConocoPhillips, uh, Pioneer Natural Resources, all big, solid uh, companies. So I like this. I like the mix. Uh, I'd rather be a little bit more diversified. I don't want to be 45% in just Exxon and Chevron, but I have no problem with them either. They're not overvalued. And, and I'd say of the top 10 names, uh, they're, they're, they're all somewhat undervalued. And so in the near term, technically, I do think it's overbought. I think there's a lot of hawkishness around Russia and Ukraine. And I think it's a lot of bluster and not a whole lot will happen. And therefore, there's a bit of a premium, I think, in the near term uh, for oil and a lot of these, uh, these gas stocks or, or, or energy stocks. But on pullbacks, yeah, I'm a, I'm a buyer because I do think longer term, it will be strong. Now let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in Virginia. Hi, Stephen. Justin, this is Mike from Virginia. Uh, I had a question about a stock I've held since uh, the beginning of COVID. It's a hotel REIT, A-P-L-E is the ticker symbol. It's stopped giving out a dividend for the time being, and I was wondering if I should hold on to that, add to my position, or wait it out until um, the dividend comes back. Thanks for answering my question. Love your show. All right, this is Apple Hospitality, and it is in the hotel business, primarily upscale service hotels. It operates under the Marriott and Hilton brands, and it is a whole, I'm just reading the, the description here. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's an upscale. I guess Marriott Hilton would be upscale. Let me take a look here. Yeah, they've cut their dividend dramatically, but they are expected to come back here, uh, earn a dollar twenty-seven this year, which is drastically up from only nine cents in twenty twenty. Clearly, they struggled in that environment, understandably. Earnings in twenty nineteen were a dollar sixty-four, so not quite back to pre-pandemic levels, but getting there. And I like the I like that trend. Uh, so let me take a look at the chart real quick. Yeah, it's it's not it's still making higher highs, higher lows. It's not breaking down. Uh, I'm fine with this. It's 
still going to be in demand. Their products are still going to be, I think, in demand as there still continues to be a lot of leisure travel and pent up demand for weddings and and just travel in general. And so I I think this is fine. Uh, you, you know, it, it got hurt in the pandemic, but that's understandable. Longer term, it's it, it's, a, it's a steady, consistent uh, company, a REIT, and their dividends going to come come back. Why? Because they have to. Remember, they have to pay out uh, 80, 90% of their cash flow in form of a dividend. A REIT is simply a pass-through tax entity. And while they cut it in, in the, in the uh, last couple of years, it's coming back and will likely come back. So I'm a hold on Apple hospitality. Now I think it's time to take a minute in the new year and start to think about your portfolio, your strategy, your plan. Do you have a plan? What is your plan in this environment? Is it to continue to chase the shiny objects or is it to have a good asset allocation strategy for this market environment? Do you know what sectors to be overweight? Which ones to be underweight? Should you be in large cap or small cap? Well, if you need help with that, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing and provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. And parallel investing means that we invest in the same strategies that we implement for ourselves. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Just a, a short conversation can go a long, long way. Next up, we'll go back to the InvestTalk Voice Bank. Remember, the phone lines never close at 888 chart Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk. 88899 chart. Hi, my name is Angela. Thanks so much for everything you do on the show. Really love it. I have a quick question. I am 26 and I'm wondering how much I should be contributing to my 401k. I make $80,000 a year and I can contribute up to 20,000 a year and my employer matches 6%, but I'm not sure if that's like way too much the 20,000 to contribute versus having that in other brokerage accounts. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, you want to bare minimum defer the 6%. So you get that full match. So that's, that's the start. You do 6%. If the company sounds like they're matching hundred percent of that 6%, you're 12% of your, uh, of, of your earnings you're saving every year. 
I would like that total to be closer to 15%, to be honest with you. So maybe get that up to 9% of your of your salary deferred. So roughly $7,200 per year. 20000 would be great. If you can afford it, I would do it because you're you're putting it in tax deferred and that, that's complete write-off. Uh, you're not in a high tax bracket, but um, so, so that means I would probably also think about a Roth 401k if you have the, that option. I would definitely think about that. So at least at least that 6%. There's nothing wrong with doing the full 20 though if you can afford it, but uh, basically that's more of a personal finance decision and your day-to-day expenses. Let's go to Bobby in Atlanta looking at XPO. That's right, Justin. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I was thinking of buying some. Uh, hopefully at some time this year the supply chain issues should ease out and this company should probably benefit from it. So that's what I'm thinking. That's why I, I want to buy some. Well, buy some. I, I think it's actually the opposite. So this is benefit. This this did during very well during the uh, pandemic, and and now as the cost of of shipping has gone down uh, or eased a bit, it's still relatively high. It's eased a bit. Their earnings are are starting to go down as well. So the, last year they're supposed to make four dollars and fifteen cents. That's up from two thousand nineteen of four dollars and five cents. Let's make four dollars and seventy six cents this year. Or sorry, yeah, this year. But those estimates are coming down. It's in a downtrend, and I don't. This is not a name that I would be excited about because remember, in the logistics space, if you can actually get things done, think get things moved, well, you're paying a premium. You're getting a premium if you can do it. And so these asset light businesses, this, these trucking businesses, they've actually over earned. Okay. And that's going to come down as supply chain issues abate. So I like what you're thinking, but you're actually looking at it backwards. Okay. So I would pass on XPO and the simple fact that once again, it's in a downtrend. It's been in a downtrend since August, well before the market started a downtrend. And I see, I see no major support, to be honest with you, until about, $58. $58. Now it's at 65. So I think there's at least 10% downside from here, probably more. So I'd pass on XPO. Now on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question. What kind of returns might investors reasonably expect over the next several years? I'll talk about the story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Stephen Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Stephen Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99Chart. Hello, this is Paige from Sunnyvale. I was wondering if you guys could give me some commentary on iRobot, I R B T. Back in July, I called you guys when I was interested in starting a position and you thought it looked like a good bet. And it's not done very well since then. So I've kind of continued to buy shares as it's gone down. I'm curious 
if you guys would put this in the category of a solid stock that you feel confident in going forward, or if you're concerned that this is a story stock. Would love to know what you think of it now, and if you would hold off on buying more, at what point you might have more confidence in buying more shares of iRobot. Thanks so much. Uh, I would have confidence around forty dollars. It's at sixty now, and just looking at the the multiples it typically trades at, uh, enterprise value to EBITDA, sales, etc. I think there's about thirty percent downside from here, which would be the lows from the the pandemic. And the problem here is that earnings expectations continue to come down. Earned four dollars and fourteen cents last year, and I think that had a lot to do with people staying at home and. Uh, just be willing and able to buy a lot of goods and what's more fun than a, a robot to, to help you do X, Y, and Z uh, throughout your, your house. And I think they have a good brand and I like their consistent profitability longer term, but I, I don't like the trends in earnings and EBITDA continues to go down and the chart continues to go down. So around 40 is where I'd have conviction to buy it. All right, let's touch lastly on... The U.S. versus the world. Now, for four straight years, the U.S. has outperformed foreign stocks. And there are many ways to think about why that has happened. Now, the first is, especially uh, during COVID, the economy, right? With so many, so much money spent uh, from, from Congress into the economy, giving people checks, uh, extended unemployment benefits, etc., that's helped fuel a lot of economic growth and profits. So that's part of it. Then there's the rise in valuation. Part of that has to do with faster economic growth than around the world because of that. But the big question is, what if the economy returns to previous the previous path of growth without that government stimulus? That's a big question. And something we have to watch for. There is a fiscal, you know, I don't want to call it cliff, but a, a fiscal step down dramatically from the last couple of years. And that's going to feed into economic activity. Number two, the companies we have in America. Most of the pandemic winners were in U.S. stocks, were, were, were U.S. companies. Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook. Even the ones that have fallen out of favor recently, the Netflixes, the, the, the Zooms, the Pelotons, they were big winners, big gainers for, for a, a period of time. And then you have the mRNA vaccine producers, Pfizer and Moderna. And you have Tesla. Obviously, all those are U.S. companies that have had great runs, great increases in share price that have driven the returns for U.S. U.S. stocks, U.S. markets. But from 1950 to 2010, U.S. stocks returned 6.9% a year above inflation, including dividends. The rest of the world over that time period, long period of time, 60 years, 7.6%. So a lot of this has to do with the growth being in favor, tech stocks being in favor. Now, could that continue? Maybe, but with higher interest rates, that likely means that you're probably going to see foreign stocks outperform. 
Because while we do have a lot of better companies, a lot of faster growing companies, a lot of that growth has been priced in. And some of that's come undone, true. But a lot of that has to do with speculate, speculators losing their shirt. So I do think it is a time, finally, to pivot from the U.S. stocks and be more overweight. Not to say you are you have more foreign stocks than U.S. stocks, but overweight your typical allocation to foreign markets. Well, that about does it. I'm, in Ju- I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And it's official. We've crossed 38 million downloads as of Friday, and thanks to you. And if you want to get more or you know anyone that wants to get more, just send them over to iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Your positive rating helps raise our profile and helps spread the word. And if you leave a brief question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.